Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of A Friend and Me, a podcast about friendship, culture, and the kingdom of God, all through the lens of Pixar. I really wanted to get this episode out to you all before the end of Lent, and so we're sneaking it in here on Good Friday. So I hope uh, everyone has a meaningful Easter weekend, that this is a wonderful time for you to reflect on the death and resurrection of our Lord. And I hope this episode with me and Electa on the movie Brave can be an encouragement to you all. One of the main things we talk about in this episode is the power of repentance. And this is a time of repentance uh, for God's people in the season of Lent. I know Lent is almost over. Easter is two days away. But here we go. Here's the episode on the movie Brave. Now, before we get to it, I'm going to read to you all the summary. Merida, the impetuous but courageous daughter of Scottish King Fergus and Queen Eleanor, is a skilled archer who wants to carve out her own path in life. Her defiance of an age-old tradition angers the Highland lords and leads to chaos in the kingdom. Merida seeks help from an eccentric witch who grants her an ill-fated wish. Now, Merida must discover the true meaning of courage and undo a beastly curse before it's too late. Now, that is a little vague of a summary. Just here's the spoiler alert. She turns her mom into a bear. She wishes that her mom would change and her mom turns into a bear. So the main plot here is Merida trying to help her mom become a human again. So there you go. If you haven't seen it in a while, I encourage you to watch it. And this is a good episode. Electa had a lot of really good thoughts. She did a lot of research before the episode. So I think you guys will really enjoy it. So now let's tune in to my conversation with Electa on the movie Brave. Hello. Thanks for tuning in. I'm here today with my dear friend Electa. How you doing, Electa? I'm well, Porter Sprig. How are you? I am excited. I'm excited to talk about Brave. And we're recording this the day after International Women's Day. So it feels very fitting. Go women! Yeah. So, Electa, you have been an engaged podcast listener. You will text me after some of the episodes with your thoughts. And you'll be like, you forgot to mention this. (laughs) Or you missed this. So, yeah. I, I, I like to call myself Porter Supporter. Uh, <laughs> I'm a Porter supporter. Thank you, Alexa. Yes, you yeah. definitely are. With all, all love to all other guests, but I'm superior. Just kidding. <laughs> Just there kidding. you go. Alexa is claiming it now. She's gonna be <laughs> the best guest. So no pressure there. <laughs> Not true. Oh man. Not true. My goal is just to be on the podcast as many times as Joe has been. Okay, that's yeah. a good goal. Yeah. Joe was saying that he counts all of his as half appearances because. He hasn't been on a normal episode. He's just been like the moderator or on a bonus episode. That's true. He has not been on a real life, real episode. So does that mean that he thinks that you guys are half friends? You've got an acquaintance (laughs) in me with Joe. (laughs) Just kidding, Joe. I love you. No. Oh, man. But yes. No, I'm so excited to talk, Lecta. And I, well, we'll get to this in Mm -hmm. shortly, but our friendship has been very much enhanced by adventure and outdoors and 
some of the things that Merida is passionate about. So, and aren't we all? Aren't we all? And bears, kind and of. Bears. Well, kind of. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> have we, I mean, I've in never... the sense that we learn about bears at Levita. Okay, I was gonna say I've never run into a bear in the wilderness. It's one of my biggest insecurities about as being a guide. Like even in the professional world now, I've never had an interaction with a bear, and it's embarrassing. Oh, no. embarrassing. <laughs> don't feel, don't feel um, insecure that you haven't had. I mean, that's not your fault. That's the bear's fault. Yeah, well then, where are the bears at? Because I I camped at RC Dam so many times, and I've never interacted with a bear. Wow. I don't have any cool stories. Maybe you need to go to a sorceress and turn a family mm. member into a bear, because then you'll have encountered you one. You can interact with them. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Done. And then it's a friend. It's a family member bear, so <laughs> there'll it won't be as dangerous. Well, unless. They start to turn what yeah right 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 which if i'm doing it just to turn them into a bear and not because i've had this big family conflict i don't know how the resolve is gonna have gonna pan out there a little bit that's true for those of you listening we're referring to the movie now we're not making a very weird uh <laughs> hypothetical uh this is connected to the film brave uh, if you haven't watched brave now is the time yes Pause, go watch the movie Come back, listen to the last two minutes, and then you'll understand. Yes. All right. So, speaking about Brave, what? Oh, wait. No, it's not time for Brave. It's time to talk about no, how we became us. friends. Who cares about Pixar? I do. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't noticed, I care. But you're right. <laughs> Let's talk about us. Great, great. What's uh, your first you, impression of me, Electa? Oh, oh, Porter. I... I was a wee little, a wee little freshman girl <laughs> coming a wee into lassie. <laughs> wee, wee, a lassie coming into Gordon, and yeah. I had just gotten off my Levita trip. And sorry to all Scottish people listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I had just gotten off my Levita trip. I had an all women's trip, which was awesome, especially because I was raised with a mindset towards men and male friendships that was like, you can't be friends with men until you're married to them, <laughs> which was wow. weird. <laughs> and and we can we can unpack that baggage later. Um, yeah, yeah. But, and I was really actually. And we are not know. married, just to clarify. <laughs> so we are friends, and we're not married. <laughs> Thank you, Porter. Thanks for that question. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I came to Gordon, and the only narrative I had heard about Christian colleges was like, watch out, because then boys will snatch you up. <laughs> like, I was like, be careful. And I was bringing my bags over to Wilson Hall where Porter was an RA, but I didn't know what an RA was. And it was not like welcoming day. So he wasn't wearing like shirt or anything res life. He just walked out of the hall and goes, Hey, can I help you with your bags? And I was (laughs) like, Oh my gosh, I just got here. This man is already hitting on me. Like I was (laughs) so, I was so, and Porter, you should be flattered because I hardly ever remember first impressions of anyone. Like I can't tell you how I met a majority of my friends, but I remember meeting you because I was so embarrassed. And I was like, no, no, I can do this. Like I can bring this up to my room. And you were like, no, let me help you. And I was like, why does he want to help me so badly? (laughs) So I didn't explain to you like my name. I didn't introduce myself or say I'm an RA. But I, even if you had said you were an RA, I was already overwhelmed. I had just gotten out of the woods. I don't think I had another interaction with you maybe until our all hall meeting or like something when everyone was there. And it was like, oh, 
that's why this makes sense (laughs) like this makes sense i was like we're in the clear like i don't have to avoid the lobby anymore just kidding i didn't avoid (laughs) the lobby i didn't just hide in my room for three days but that was my first first impression of you and then our friendship grew and developed so much um in in working for levita um we went on two training trips together oh yeah were just legendary so good we were in cell groups together just working in the kitchen and preparing meals and dropping cinnamon bun dough on the floor and um, yeah yeah yeah. so that was that was classic yeah and then yeah we're just we're just close from from then on out shout out levita so when you were a student we still had the highland games the scottish competition yeah for those of you who don't know um, our college, Gordon College, um, the mascot is the Fighting Scot. So um, yeah. we're we're diving deep into our Scottish um, heritage, alumnage. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. With this is. episode, With which this you're episode. Scottish, you said, right? I yes, my family is Scottish. That's okay. Yeah. So yeah. when I ask you questions about Scottish lore, you're gonna be able to answer them. I know all the answers. Yeah. Okay. You don't okay, have good. to worry. I'll know everything about actually I did a lot of research about the stones and Oh good. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah. I oh I I I did I took a deep dive Oh, I was deep. teasing you. I didn't think you actually would know, but no, you, I don't I don't actually know. But like I was like, ooh, what are the Scottish mythological features? Were Will of the Wisps really real or did Brave come up with them? Or like cool. what are these stones? And they're actually, you know, they they predate Stonehenge. Did you know that? They're they're a Scottish Oh, wow. Like in, in the movie, there's a circle of stones that's standing and it's actually like supposed to represent the calendish, I think is what the name is, um, like stones. And it's oh. kind of like a, a almost a crucifix pattern, but it predates Christ hmm. um, with a circle in the middle and with the tallest stone in the middle. And the best theories are that it's related to some pagan rituals, uh, but it predates Stonehenge. So, wow. There you go. And that is directly correlative to our friendship because <laughs> our friendship predates, I don't know what it predates. Our friendship predates any other friendship that I had. Predates your taking classes at Gordon. Predates my taking classes, yes, specifically. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. there you go. No, they did have friends from Levita, so sorry, you were the first. Well, I'm glad that we were able to work through that initial me freaking you out, thinking I was hitting on you. I, I tend to be oblivious, so it doesn't surprise me that I was not aware of my effect. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you were so charming. I, I was, yeah, my, <laughs> I just can't help it, Electa. I just exude this. <laughs> the suave charm. Yeah, suave flirtatious energy. No. Just um, like Weijing Wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the movie, when he's just like, Kissing her hand, like I'm like, okay, dude, stop. But, oh, that's hilarious. Oh man. Wait, what's his? Is it Dingwall? Dingwall. <laughs> oh, that's that's funny. Just wee wee Dingwall. Yeah. And she goes, oh, poor lamb. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, oh. One thing about the Scottish the Scottish competition, there's a scene where. They're like picking up the logs and tossing it like yeah. those huge logs. And we used to do that at Gordon. Oh, yeah. But there was dorms like, you know, Fulton and Tavilla that had lacrosse players in their dorm who could lift these huge logs. And then you get to Lewis Hall and the men in Lewis have a lot of things going for them, but they didn't necessarily have strength. 
Lewis Dark Hall time. was the danky, weird dorm at yes. College, everyone. Danky, gross, weird. But everyone loved how weird it was. Yes. But everyone there was very weird. And and they were good at Rec IM, but they didn't go to the gym. We Dingwall would have come into his own in Lewis Hall. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> he would have been like accepted and loved, and he would have become this like great quirky guy with self-confidence. If we could place the characters from Brave in halls at Gordon, like if that was a personality test or like yes, a sorting yes. test, we doing well would definitely be in Lewis, no yeah. doubt. But not like in a bad, like not in a bad way, like in a like no, in, in the a, best yeah. way, in the like best way possible for we doing embodiments of Lewis Hall. Yes, but anyway, my friend Ryan Fisher, who you know is he's relatively strong for his size, but he's not a big guy. He had to pick up that log and I was afraid my friend was going to get crushed. Like I thought the log was going to fall back on Ryan. He did a nice attempt. But anyway, yeah, it was it was funny watching this movie and being like, wait a second. This is weird. Why did my college have these ancient Scottish games? Because we're Scottish. But then we switched next year. We're like, oh, let's modernize and do some modern Scottish games like bouncy houses. (laughs) In kilts, jumping in bouncy houses with kilts. I'm just kidding. President Lindsay did not. The bouncy house originated in Scotland. Yeah, it actually predates uh, Stonehenge. No, no. Um, (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Oh man. Sorry, you can cut out that laugh. I'm not going to cut out your laugh. It's great. Oh man. So we're already off the rails, Alexa. We haven't even got to the first part. But you have to tell me your first impression of me. Yes. I remember talking to you on training trip about, so this is not my first impression, but this is like Mm -hmm. the first like interaction we had that I was like, wow, like this is, we're going to be friends. Like this is a, like a really solid friendship was we were on training trip and we were just talking about the vulnerabilities of being a trip leader Mm -hmm. and how it's, a you were just being honest about some of your fears about it and then some of your frustrations with like how others were talking about it and like it's just it's an overwhelming time stepping into this role and so on the training trip we're all there to be trained to lead these trips but there's sometimes this like I was so nervous one yeah yeah, I was I remember. terrified. And <laughs> and me and Lizzie like came to you and you were like, me too, guys. Like, that's how I felt last year. And it was it was an instant bond. Yeah. And I remember talking with you about it and being like, no, I still feel that way. And I'm a returner. <laughs> like, I still feel this insecurity because there's this almost this pressure to perform on the training trip, like show that you belong type of thing. And so I just so appreciated that you were just very honest with me about how you were feeling, how afraid you were. And yeah, once we started working with each other at La Vida, it felt like we could be very honest with each other about our emotions and Mm -hmm. really appreciate that. And I'm glad that you were able to form a a male friendship that (laughs) was not inherently a courting situation. I was so worried. I was so worried. I mean, there were I, I've I've learned since how to have some solid male friendships. Shout out yes. to all my all my dudes. If Merida was going off to college, yeah, would she approach men? How would she? Because in this nah, movie, she, it seems like she's a little like nah. Like, she's 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 very confident. I think yeah. 
And, um, and I think that she and I both like have a sense of confidence, but mine yeah. was like a, um, a confidence that like had been like a narrative that someone else had told me mm. about. And, and I think for her, she, she, I mean, she doesn't have any friends. This girl's lonely, like, mm. <laughs> like you know, and so like yeah. to interact with anyone would be like a friendship to her. And I think, I don't think that she is this is pertinent to cultural implications, but I don't think she views herself as like a sexual object or like a prize to be won. And um, I, the narrative that I grew up with is like, as a woman, like men are out, out to get you. Um, and they only, they only ever view you that way. Like, this is a side note, but like, I was told like, don't ever let a man see your bra strap because otherwise you know what he's thinking about. And like, and that responsibility was on me and mm. which is very wow. unhealthy, I believe now. Um, yeah. But well, yeah. and she, that's, yeah, it's so interesting. Like the narratives were told about like, like, and specifically the narratives women are told about how they mm -hmm. need to act, how they need to behave in this movie. She does get that in a different way. Like, oh, mm -hmm. princesses never do this. Princesses never do that. Like she is told what she needs to do as a woman in this specific role. Right. And then she, she immediately is resistant it, to yeah. that narrative. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it is really interesting especially within conservative circles in the church mm -hmm. the narratives that we tell women but i'm glad that you have been able to overcome those or or yeah <laughs> <laughs> or are overcoming them yeah yes yeah, yeah yeah well let's move on to talking about your impressions of the film this time around now you said that th you told me before we wa started the pod that you responded more emotionally this time watching the movie yes yeah, yeah. definitely <laughs> the first time I watched Brave I did not like it <laughs> yeah I was not I was like unimpressed and I don't I don't remember what what really particularly I didn't like I don't know if it like went against my um my narratives that I had learned growing up and now they really align with my narratives so yeah like, yeah um, <laughs> I remember the first time I saw Brave afterwards, like being like not super attached to it and then talking to an adult about it and, and kind of expressing like, oh, I didn't know how I felt. And they were like, oh, yeah, I thought that the little boys were going to be such a bigger part of the movie and they were supposed to be so funny and they were barely a part of it. And I was like, yeah, that sucks. Like, <laughs> like their opinion. I didn't really have my own opinion. Because you didn't know why it sucked. So it must yeah. just because the little boys were not. Because the little boys part. weren't the main character, which is an issue in and of itself yeah yeah um <laughs> <laughs> yikes um but now the watching it this time I watched it um a couple days ago and I wow like getting into it I I was also nervous because I was like man Porter and I are supposed to talk about like Jesus in this movie and there's like a witch and this is yeah, like a yeah. fairy tale and I was like oh this is gonna go and at the end I was weeping and mm. just and I also went to bed practicing my Scottish accent <laughs> 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 nice. Yeah, like I was just like, this is really, this is a powerful movie um, about, yeah, repentance and pride and yeah. um, mending relationships and about like a mother-daughter relationship and expectations that you hold for another person and um, what it means to learn and love another person for where they're at. And yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So tell us about some things you noticed in the script early on that helped set that up. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, in the opening scene, I, and it's been funny because as I've listened to, listened to the podcast uh, before, a lot of people talk about how well Pixar sets up 
um, the story they're about to tell. Mm -hmm. And I, this is my first time watching a movie with this intent to, to analyze and think about and, and process and understand the deeper meaning. And man, y'all, this opening scene of Brave is so important and sets up the entire narrative so well. And the storytelling is just chef's kiss uh, because the queen's first lines in the first lines in the entire film are queen eleanor going where are you like she's calling out to her daughter like seeking her out and seeking this relationship and they're playing hide and seek um and it's just this cute like there's so much levity and meredith's giggling and hiding out of the table mm -hmm. and it's just this very sweet moment and eleanor's like um, I'm going to gobble you up when I find you, which I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, she becomes a bear. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> she could legit eat her daughter. <laughs> oh no, there's an actual threat of that occurring later in the film. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's too scary. Um, <clears throat> and then um, what I, what really stood out to me was I'd always wondered why the will of the wisps were there in the beginning of the film. Um, and until I watched it with the lens of understanding the themes and the, the theme of relationship between Eleanor and Merida, like, be, like being like unified and reconciling and just being true and beautiful and like having that relationship be in, in the, in the most true sense of the word, like good and healthy, yeah. um, I watched it and the fates at the beginning when Merritt is a little toddler and she's running through the woods to find the arrow and then she sees the fates or not the fates, sorry, the will-o'-wisps. Uh, the will-o'-the-wisps lead, lead you to your lead fate. Her to her fate. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And they lead her back to the camp, like to her mom out of the danger of the woods where Mordu is right there. Like her, uh, yeah, like they guide her and take her back to this relationship. And that is her fate is that closeness with her. Her so fate is to be in the arms of her mother. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it was just beautiful it's beautiful mm. which is interesting yeah i didn't catch that like for me i just saw it as oh they're setting up the fact that these will o the wisps exist and that the dad doesn't believe in magic mm -hmm. because that's important later on but yeah i love that discovery because i do think that gives that scene way more meaning yeah and the yeah. and the just the foreshadowing and i didn't even realize that he was like oh magic doesn't exist and then that's why he doesn't believe that He's, yeah. Oh, I don't know. She explains because yeah. the Eleanor explains to her, your dad doesn't believe in magic, but I do. Like the will of the wisp lead you to your fate or whatever. And then mm -hmm. he's like, oh yeah, and this like he makes up. He's like, and should I go talk to this like magical? I I didn't even catch sense. that and how that was related. I was so focused on Eleanor and Merida, I didn't catch anything about. about yeah. About so there you go. Two viewers viewing the movie, we help each other understand it better. Love that. Love that. What stood out to you, Peace Briggs? Yeah, well, first thing, we joked about this uh, before starting the episode, but I think this is the most crass Pixar movie. <laughs> so we see multiple naked butts, both of, like, little boys and men, because the men use their kilts like, to, like, yeah, to come yeah. down the castle. And then the little boys, after they stop becoming bears, they're completely naked. So, like, there's a lot of the humor in this is either slapstick or just mm -hmm. crass humor. Like there's a scene where the housekeeper, which yeah. maybe we'll talk about Maudie. later. Like what, what's her name? Maddie. She's named. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She puts the key to Merida's like cell where she's being kept in her bra or in her bosom. Right down her dress. Right down her dress. Probably right down her dress. Okay. And then l later in the movie, <laughs> The, a bear. I see that say this. I can see you trying to figure out how to say this. 
<laughs> How do I say this in a non? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let, I'll bear just jump right dove in. into her. The bear dove into the cleavage of the the housekeeper. This little boy bear, which is just like, why are they putting this in a Pixar movie? I mean, they don't show it entirely, but you, we get the gist of what is occurring. So anyway, yeah, it was interesting how the humor was a little bit more on that side. It wasn't mm-hmm. as maybe witty as some of the mm-hmm. other Pixar movies, but I was wondering, now this might be a stereotype, maybe an unhealthy stereotype, I don't know, but is that Scottish? Like that sort of humor? <laughs> You're I'm Scottish, gonna, Electa, is that? I'm going to say I do think that's a stereotype. Okay. <laughs> but is it like a, is, but is that why they made this? You don't think Pixar was like, oh, like, let's, let's lean into some Scottish humor. Like, you don't think they were doing that? <laughs> was, was that what you're trying to do? I don't ask? know. It wasn't. It <laughs> <laughs> just sounded like Liam Neeson. <laughs> yes, I just did a gruff. I'm sorry. I can't do Scottish. <laughs> I mean, the dad is like a little crass, like the king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His humor is crass, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and he's mm -hmm. Scottish. Okay, here here are my options that are coming to mind about why this movie is so crass with the humor. Option number one, it could be because Pixar was like, let's do a Scottish movie. Let's make this crass, Um, which apologies again to all Scottish people, um, because I don't. I don't really know. I don't know about that. I've never been to Scotland. I've never interacted with anyone who's truly purely Scottish. I just have yeah. Scottish language. So so don't put that on me. Um, number two, I think that, A, like as a kid watching that, like that's funny. And you don't understand what that really means. Like this yeah, movie true. especially was marketed to to children yeah. um, as a as a princess movie, like a fairy tale movie. The advertisement had these little kids running around like making mischief as the as the humor of the film. Yeah. So, um, I think like, and kids could relate to that or be like, you know, it's kind of like the despicable me humor. Sorry to bring DreamWorks into this, but you know, like, when, yeah, yeah. like, it's like the, oh my gosh, that's so funny. You're like, ha he's wearing a, a pink space suit in space. You know, like, it's just, yeah, it's very and, engaging as a child. And I do love the three, the three, the three little boys. They're fun. Yeah. I'm Hubert not, I'm not Haddish hating on some, what are Hubert, Hamish and Haddish. Hamish or something? Haddish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, and and like that's super fun. And as a, as a little kid, like I didn't know what cleavage was. I was just like, oh my gosh! <laughs> like, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, um, oh, like that, that wasn't inappropriate. It was just funny. Yeah. Um, and but yeah. usually, and, like you said, usually that's a DreamWorks thing. Yes, it is very DreamWorks. And then the other, like the other part of it that I wonder is, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but I think that this film is so well done in nuancing and and really highlighting at the same time the differences between like the stereotyped male and the stereotyped female and a lot of that crass humor is typically stereotyped as like a male sense of humor and like that's that's something that's like more appealing or like funnier to men quote unquote um for for whatever reason that is, we don't need to sure. like get into that. But I, I really think that like in some senses, they, there are so many ways that they tried to make this fairy tale movie also approachable from a male audience. Huh. Um, yeah. And so. Well, one other, th- well, yeah, one other thing I wanted to say about this movie before we get to our next part mm-hmm. is, <clears throat> so this is, in my understanding, I think this is the first movie that Pixar did that fits in the like category of 
it's not just a phase mom like this is who i am type of movie and i think they have i i thought of three that are clearly that type of movie okay go yeah you what do you know the other two they're later this is the first one i mean i'm thinking turning red is on your mind yes turning red and then coco Um, okay i haven't watched coco in a long time okay so those are the three that are about a kid kind oh, of right, right where he has the guitar okay i remember yeah yeah those. pushing oh, yeah. against the expectations of their family they're being told this is what our family does and they're pushing back against it i, I have some thoughts about turning red that i won't bring up now but i think yeah. of those three brave is the one that has the least coherent message about what it's trying to say about individual and family because okay. i expand, here's expand the, here's the thing <laughs> okay, so so in Coco, he at the beginning is basically saying music is more important than everything. Like music needs to come first. And at the end of the movie, he comes to realize and and he literally says like family comes first. Okay. So he he has this realization. And then in Turning Red, you can you can question whether this is a healthy thing, but it seems like at the beginning of the movie she's like, oh, I just do what my parents tell me. And at the end of the movie she's like, I need to differentiate myself for my parents and it's more clear has a more clear takeaway now you could say brave i don't think has that clear of a takeaway which isn't necessarily a bad thing but they give her a mic drop line at the end of the movie that seems like it's supposed to be like this big like realization of what she's learned but she says those who say fate is or there are those who say fate is beyond our command and that destiny is not our own but i know better our fate lives within us. You only have to be brave enough to see it. And I was confused by that being her realization because it feels like something that's only slightly different than her attitude at the beginning of the movie, where it's still this idea of she already believed that fate could not hold her down mm-hmm. and that she was going to be the master of her own destiny. So now it, I guess the the nuance is that now it's something fate is something you discover within yourself and that includes your family. But I just thought that was an odd way to end it. Like she's not saying something about her mom or about reconciliation. She's just saying mm-hmm. a similarly, oh, like we can define our own fate. And I also don't love that she says, I know better because part of the movie is her needing to like let go of that like attitude of I know better. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, that that's my that's my reasoning why I, I'm a little unclear with what the message is meant to be in that front. But yeah, I agree with you. I think yeah. that that last line that she has, like that tag at the end, when I listened to it, I was like, this is not what that movie is about. Like, yeah, there's, there's the theme of fate and like the theme of like freedom and all the above and like understandings of agency versus like um, what does it mean to serve and love those around me and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like having having the theme of like changing your fate, I think maybe that's the the contrast is like at the beginning, she wants her own fate and she wants to change it. And she's like grasping onto that control and seeking that out. Like she's like, I want to do whatever I can to change this. I'm going to I'll be shooting from my own hand, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like, you know, um, and then she goes and she's like, I want to change my mom. And she's like trying to change and change and change what is happening and yeah. maybe maybe the line can you I, I want to ask you to read the line again because because a lot of me is like oh maybe that line about like finding that or understanding that 
Um, she says, like, our fate lives within us. You only have to be brave enough to see it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if it's like a, a, a letting go of control thing. Yeah. But it, but I, I understand the inconsistency. I think that that's a great critique. Yeah. Anyway, it it, it's just, and I do have issues with the final line of turning red as well, because mm -hmm. I, I think it's odd to me when a movie has a mic drop line at the end that doesn't seem to correlate with the complexity of the film. Like it's taking a movie that was more complex and then just giving it this simple like tagline at the end that you're like, wait a second. What? Yeah. Like I, I could have easily seen that line that Meredith says she could have said that earlier in the movie too. And mm -hmm. then it could have been the thing she learned. Oh, it's not as simple as that. But anyway, that that's just my, my critique, but I, I do appreciate some of the stuff it's doing with the family dynamic, but I don't think it drives it home as clearly as turning red and Coco. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that your critique is very well done and like, and that the family message is really inconsistent with the idea of like fate and freedom as much as it's about that. But like Eleanor and Merida both throughout the film are trying to control and have their own control over what's going to happen. And it drives them apart. Yeah. Versus then when they find each other, they also find the fate that they were made for. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. Which I do think is beautiful. My, uh, my, I'll, we'll move on in a second, but I, the mm -hmm. one thing I have on that point is I feel like there wasn't enough scenes to earn that transformation for both of them. Like it seems like mm -hmm. when they went fishing together, that was when they had this realization, but I think it's hard when you, one of your characters can't talk anymore for us to see why she changed so much, like the scene where she's gesturing to Merida and saying like, you don't need to be married anymore. Mm -hmm. I was confused. Like what brought Eleanor to that transformation? Like what changed her yeah. heart? Yeah. That's what um, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's really good. Cause you can see Merida changing her language towards understanding her own narrative and story, like throughout yeah. the movie. And you can't see that from Eleanor but you can see like there are moments when she's like oh I'm sorry in your opinion like princesses aren't supposed to have weapons you know and like Merida's like weapon is the thing that that saved their lives oh you know? yeah there, that's true but, yeah and like yeah and she she's pointing that out and it goes from this like upsetness at her daughter for being the way she is to an acceptance and realizing the strength of that and then she started she starts to see the strengths and like see Merida for the strengths that she has. She, you know, she can hunt, she can fish, she can build shelter for them. Like she can, she can do the wilderness stuff. <laughs> she can yeah, do that's wilderness true. Stuff. And, and then when she goes, she actually, she has great diplomacy, you know, when she's in the room yeah. with all the, the men that have like turned into this war, you know, yeah. like, and, <laughs> and she, she starts and she goes and her mom gives her the confidence to be who she is because she has to do it. She can't depend on her mom for that. And and then in watching that, I think she realizes like, oh, Merida should be who she should be or like yeah. who she is. Yeah, she's competent and capable. So let's move forward to the cultural lens, Electa. What do you think this movie has to say to our culture? All right. Well, Porter, in my notes, I have an attempted draw of the hand clap emoji going, let's talk about women. <laughs> yes. Nice. <laughs> I love it. I can put that in the show notes with the actual emoji. <laughs> okay, good, 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 yeah. good. It needs to be there because my drawings are, are, are crude. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's just a whole bunch of squiggles. But um, yeah, uh, well, like we said, yesterday was International Women's Day. Um, we're recording this in March, and it's also Women's History Month. So big shout out to recording this at this time, uh, mm -hmm. because Merida and Eleanor, I guess they're both the protagonists of this film, and they're Pixar's first female protagonist, came a long way from um toy story i think when you and a were talking about it not passing passing the bechdel test like, yeah and how they talked about bo peep and yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah like that's that's a big deal um brave also um had pixar's first female director brenda chapman who okay in my research i didn't know this i got really excited did you know that she okay you may you may hate me for this i know elaine phillips will hate me for this sorry Sorry, Dr. Phillips. But um, Brenda Chapman was a director on um, DreamWorks. Oh, no, I'm going to forget the name. I'm the Prince of Egypt? The Prince of Egypt. Cool. I think it's cool. I love Prince of Egypt. I'm not against it. <laughs> okay. Dr. Phillips, is Dr. Phillips anti-Prince Oh, she's very anti-Prince of Egypt. I think that she used to give an extra credit assignment. This isn't one of our biblical studies, Old Testament professors, by the way, yeah. to all the listeners. She used to give an extra credit assignment to watch Prince of Egypt and write down everything that was wrong with it. That's funny. <laughs> oh, man. Well, like, yeah, it's fictionalized. It's not. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, <laughs> if you anyways. look at it as trying to be an accurate depiction, then that. Yeah. Anyway. But so, cool, so I did not know that. That's on cool. The Prince of Egypt, which is dope. And then yeah. she came. She wrote the entire story of Brave, brought it to Pixar, was the first director, unfortunately, was let go for, um, with creative direction reasons from the yeah. film um and huh. so she still gets a director credit but she did not direct for the second half of the film to my understanding um which could explain why there's these two narratives going on is the original script might have been one and then they mm -hmm. added a different part and now it's like an awkward marriage of different parts but yeah and yeah. I, th I think that that definitely could be part of it especially the the freedom fate versus the mother-daughter relationship yeah. and and it does intertwine in some in some ways right like yeah. eleanor has this fate or direction that she's chosen for her daughter's life and that and there's conflict yeah. about that um yeah. but yeah 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 so yeah, yeah. I just wanted to talk about women. Like, yeah. So what, yeah. What do you think this movie says about women? Wow. Well, Porter. Um, number one, let's talk about this being the first princess movie that isn't the stereotype. Um, I think you know. Uh, I'll, I'll give I'll give an aside to Disney's Tangled with Rapunzel because I do think that she's a great princess, but even she fits the stereotype of um like very very tiny person um really big eyes it's all about her like she has this dream that she goes to accomplish but then that's not her real dream her real dream is the man who i mean flynn rider first cartoon crush i'm not gonna lie to you guys <laughs> um, but, there you go. Um, not but we dingwall <laughs> not, not we dingwall okay okay <laughs> Anyway, sorry, I was just imagining if Lee Dingwall was like kissing my hand up my arm and trying to charm me. And I was like, that just looked wet in the worst. If way. you were if it was freshman Electa and Wee Dingwall was a freshman boy. I would have smacked that boy. Yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> International Women's Day. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Um but uh so, yeah, so like there's yeah, she she's Merida's not the stereotype, right? Like yeah. And I, I wrote down a couple of ways that she really does not fit that stereotype. A, 
and her activity, like the activities that she's shown to do um, are not cooking, are not cleaning. They're not, you know, like going around and, and serving everyone like in a Snow White or Cinderella way. And they're not running away from people because like they're afraid or, you know, yeah. this opening montage of her on her birthday is she's active. She's rock climbing. She's archery. She's riding a horse, not side saddle, you know, like yeah. she's, she's doing all these things. She's drinking from the firefalls and she's late to dinner and like all this stuff. That's really cool. Um, her dress is very different. Like there's that scene where her mom puts her in this dress with this really constrictive, you know, like head and hair cover. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she's like, I can't breathe. And she's like, this is awful. And she ends up ripping the dress and then it gets absolutely destroyed later in the film. Yeah. Um, she's really independent. Um, there's, like I said, there's no romance and her hair. Let's talk about Meredith's hair. Okay. Oh yeah. Her hair is all over the place and she has shorter pieces sticking out and she pulls her curl out of the really tight dress. And mm-hmm. when she like wakes up in the morning it's like, it's, she's not put together um, in the expectation. Um, and I like, even just that, like the activity and like who she is and her values are established in the, in the beginning of the film, but also her physical appearance, very different from the princess stereotype. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I was telling Porter this before we started recording, when Disney took over Pixar, or, you know, when Pixar merged with Disney or whatever, whatever that's called, I don't know the official business term. Um, Then Merida officially became, because I believe, like, Brave was written and produced and and released before Pixar was a part of Disney. Well, before they, before they merged the princess, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Before yeah, so Disney it, parks merged with Pixar. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. That's, that's the connection, the Disney yeah. parks. Um, but then they made Merida a Disney princess and there was a big change in the art um, of Merida and they put her in a dress that was way more sparkly and mm. had like, like a golden ribbon on the bottom. They made her waist smaller. She like her, her even her body type is much more active, uh, more muscular, like, not the traditional petite, um, you know, and, and they make her more petite in her waist and and they lower her collar. Um, Which she herself would have been really upset really about. Really upset about, yeah. really upset about. And they yeah. make her eyes different. So it's funny because she still has her rounded face, which her face is pretty round in the movie, um, but they make her eyes like more cat-like um, and they have a lot of makeup on her and her hair is less messy. And it's just this, it's a, it's a, it's a look and they, they still have some of the art of the difference. Um, and I was, so did they, did they go forward with this or was this pushback against? And so there was a big pushback against it. And there was a petition that thousands of people signed, including Brenda Chapman, who wrote the character um, saying like, this is not the point of Merida. And like, a lot of people were very offended. A lot of women, particularly like, Um, and she's like, the point of Merida is to set a role model for young girls that like, even if they're like, Ooh, I like the sparkles, what's being told to them. Like there's a quote from, from Brenda Chapman about this. I'm not quoting directly, but, um, like when they see the sparkles, they do think that's pretty, but it automatically makes them think that pretty is associated with like sexy or sultry or like with their bodies, um, instead Mm -hmm. of with who they are. Um, and so it's just this really powerful, like there was this movement of response against this art change and they decided to keep Merida the way that she is. So her animation actually stayed. And when you see her like in coloring books or in books about all the princesses that they release and all of the above, um, her art stays the same, which is pretty powerful. So, Hmm. yeah, 
yeah, yeah. Um, I never knew that. Thanks for sharing that story. That's good. Yeah, um, and I think I, I remember when that was happening and like learning about that and being upset about it. Like, why would they change paradigm? You know. Um, so yeah, and I think I also like just wrote down some things about like what does it mean or imply that Pixar had you know, this, this movie with a, with the female protagonist, um, and with, with this physical appearance and this activities and this character, who's really independent. And, um, like I wrote down kind of like a, the idea of just like women having a place at the table. And I think that the movie does that really well to show women having a voice, even in the ruling of the kingdom, like the, the clan of Dunbrock, you know, there's Eleanor, um, and there's, shoot, what's the king's name? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Fergus. Fergus and there's Fergus and the way that they rule is they come and they're sitting together at the head and Fergus will get up to speak first and clearly not know what he's doing. And Eleanor will will step in and everyone respects her. No one's like, Oh, why is the queen speaking? No one is like, well, what's going on with that? Right. Like, and, and you can even see like Fergus has no diplomacy skills, right? Like he's just, he's bad at that. And when, when all the clans are being appeased by him in the hall, um, they they go and they and Eleanor has just eaten the cake and she's feeling really sick. Like they go and they chase her down for the decision and they're like asking her her opinion and like these things yeah. where they kind of elevate a stance of women physically like having a place at the table like literally in the film but also like the place of of leadership in the in the movie is is women have that place. And then I also think one of the really interesting things and contrast in the film, which we don't have to get too much into, um, but I just wanted to bring it here, was the contrast between the way that the women handle conflict, like their conflict with each other and the conflict with the, within the kingdom, and the way that the men handle the conflict, and the way that both of them handle anger as hmm. well. Um, and there's like this togetherness and collaboration versus like war that's happening and like yeah. The different genders are expressing anger and their expectation in, in really different ways. Like Merida, like you see her when she's angry at her mom, she takes a sword to her bedpost and she's like going at it. And that yeah. is clearly not, quote unquote, the way a princess behaves. Right. And and she's supposed to approach it with some more mature diplomacy. But then you see the way that all the men are dealing with their anger is like they break into war in the great room and they're like arguing and fighting and like you know like several times in the film and that's the only way they deal with it, with anything is like yeah through. so that that's really fascinating too well and the movie is a a lot of it is about what do we do with our differences and how do we heal division mm-hmm. and like the the discovery that Merida comes to about how she needs to heal things with her mom then directly applies in that speech she gives to them after all the men are fighting. She's trying to give, she says something along the lines of we're supposed to fight for each other, not fight with each other. And so like directing your passion and your energy towards staying united rather than your passion and your energy towards being divided, which actually connects to my <laughs> cultural piece, uh, which is kind of individualism. My thoughts about this movie and how it connects to our culture is that individualism plus anger equals division. Mm. And so we have this movie where ultimately it has an individualist message. It doesn't completely reject individualism. There's this celebration at the end of allowing people to choose their love, not just have it won through this competition. And obviously you and I come from an individualist culture that in many ways like that's just like yeah of course i'm rooting for 
Merida in this debate between Merida and Eleanor because the culture I'm from and mm. is more individualistic and I want that that opportunity for choice to win out. And but in our society, so often we see when anger gets mixed into that, that it stops becoming just about my freedom, but also becomes about how can I lash out against others or it becomes this divisive thing. So we see so often how this individualism can then lead to segmenting off. It leads to the tearing of the tapestry in the movie where Merida has this individualism that, like I said, I was we're rooting for her. It's not necessarily an unhealthy desire that she wants to be able to shoot for her own hand, that she doesn't want to f- feel like she needs uh, a male and specifically a male that is just chosen for her. But then because of the anger piece and because of the way she reacts against her mom, it, it's not just about her, be, her being able to exercise a healthy freedom. It's, it then becomes about uh, distancing from the relationships with others. And I think what our society really needs is a way to be able to dialogue within an individualist society where we have different understandings of what our rights and freedoms should be and that we have to try to keep that anger at bay as mm-hmm. much as possible. Obviously, people are going to be passionate, but like Merida says, like we should be fighting for each other, not with each other. It's like if we want our republic to be able to survive, <laughs> there needs to be some level of passion directed toward unity. If all of the passion is directed towards division, there won't be a healthy society there. So anyway, yeah. I think we see that in the individual relationship with Merida and her mom, but we also see it in the warring of the men, like as they start to disagree with each other and start to battle. And there's this desire that the movie has to say, Hey, that anger is not the solution. Anger is not going to be the healing force in, in our, the narrative of individualism. Yeah. I think yeah, that's that's so relevant right now. And even as in this last week, I've been processing personally a lot of anger in some interpersonal relationships that I've been having. And just today, I w- this morning, I was talking to the mentor about navigating that anger. And she was like, oh, write down other feelings that you're feeling around that anger. And the first word that I wrote down was misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And I think that this movie also really speaks to how to navigate around that anger and like how to have conversations across that division and across that individualism is understanding that the root of a lot of it is is a misunderstanding Mm. not necessarily of of the issue or of the topic but of the person behind it so like Merida and Eleanor have this huge misunderstanding and this huge conflict because Merida is like, you just want me to become you. And Eleanor is like, I want to prepare you for what your future is. And they misunderstand each other's hearts and desires for the future of their country mm-hmm. <laughs> and for the future of, of like their society. Right. And, and Merida, like I mentioned, like one of the big character moments for Eleanor is when she realizes that Merida's like weapons have a use and that there's, it's this skill and it's this important part of who Merida is, you know, it's, it's natural and it's, it's something to be proud of in her and not something to be ashamed of in her. And then similarly, when Merida's giving her speech and she is talking about the history of the clans and these things that she learned from her mom, she begins to see the heart of her mom beh- behind her yeah. lecture 
her 10 hours a day teaching her that, right? Like yeah. we see her at the very beginning when she's like, project, like you need to learn to project. And she's like, Oh, no, no, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and, and teaching her history and all these things. And what's, what's Eleanor's heart behind that. And, and there's that deep misunderstanding and you see as they're growing together in the film, they're learning how to navigate that misunderstanding and those different desires, not that those desires are changing because Eleanor still wants, you know, wants Merida to be prepared to take on leadership and yeah. Merida still wants to go outside and ride her horse and, yeah. and shoot bows and arrows, right. And be herself. Um, but there's a, there's a sense where they are able to build a relationship a and mm. B to communicate across and through that relationship. And it, it reminds me a lot of like come to the table groups at Gordon. Um, I don't know if, if you remember that or like if they are doing that at all, but my freshman year at Gordon at college, they would have discussion groups intentionally like comprised of people from all sorts of different backgrounds, yeah. um, different cultures, different um, ethnicities, um, different races to talk about the conflict and the challenges of coming to the table about that, like to have that discussion and to build a relationship in that place. Mm-hmm. And I think Gordon like got rid of it, unfortunately. And like, it was, it's no longer a part yeah. of their campus life, but I saw some real, real change, like through those programs and some real understanding. And I think that that's the number one way that we see reconciliation embodied in the film and how I think our culture is calling for that so deeply is like, you don't understand me. You don't understand why I want yeah. this. You're just blaming me for, for something, or you're just telling me that I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, and that, and that relational divide it cannot be healed. So often we, we see the worst in our opponent's argument. We take their, what they're saying and we make it the worst possible. We read it as the worst, most cruel, most stupid and uninsightful way possible. And in that light, it can obviously look like it's a matter of complete good and evil. Like they are evil. I am good. So therefore anything I do is justified. And that is just really unhealthy and it it's unhealthy in family dynamic when it's a kid yelling at their parent uh, or a parent yelling at their kid, but it's unhealthy on a societal level yeah. as well. And we're getting to the point. I, I read an article the other day where it was basically saying we're getting to the point where the left and the right, they, it's not just that they disagree with their opponent. It's they think their opponent's idea should be completely silenced that they think that idea should be eliminated from the public discourse. And that's a pretty dangerous place to be in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because then we're going to start throwing stuff and axes at each other like that. Yeah. And that's like guys. when all the men are arguing. Right. And you see like and Merida has to remind them of who they were for each other when they came together and there was an outside enemy. Right. Yeah. And um, and she has to remind them of how they fought for each other and remind them of the ways that they cared for each other in the past. And mm-hmm. we're getting to a point right now as a culture where we are completely forgetting that narrative or we don't yeah. have those relationships to begin with to help remind us of the importance of a dissenting voice. And we're sucked into a group think. Hmm. Which is perhaps why having more women at the table is a crucial element of societal healing as well. Let's talk about women. (laughs) (laughs) Because like you were saying, the way that anger is dealt with and that conflict is dealt with can be very different if you only have men at the table than Mm -hmm. if you have both men and women. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. If you just have people 
that have different life experiences and different perspectives and yeah. different dispositions, which can be men or women or, you know, like young and old or, you know, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, go down every line of division. When we only have one voice coming in, it's safe, but it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Okay, Porter, <laughs> <laughs> tell me. What were the theological implications that you picked up from this film, Brave? This is something that you were just talking about a little bit, but uh, there's a massive blind spot that comes from pride. Throughout scripture, we see examples of pride leading to these really foolish decisions that people make. The one that came to mind watching this movie was actually Jacob and Esau, Mm. where because there's this willingness that Jacob has to manipulate his father to involve his parent in this like deception because he has this pride and wants to receive the blessing and birthright. Mm -hmm. And so we see this son choose to really spit in the face of his older brother and his father in this desire to gain power. And in this movie, it demonstrates that Merida, her pride, creates this blind spot where she's willing to basically spit in the face of her mom to get her way. Where it's like she, the movie is not saying that Merida's wrong. Merida is justified in wanting to be able to choose her own fate. Was that was that a little better or no? No, you still sound very very gruff. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't okay. change your vowels at all. You just changed where <laughs> the sound was coming from in your mouth. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. I didn't practice before going to bed. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I fell asleep practicing. So okay, yeah. Well, anyway, she. But because she's she has this pride, it creates mm-hmm. this blind spot where she is like. I'm willing to just change my mom. And it just makes a very dumb decision. If you tell a witch, I want you to change my mom. She didn't give her specifics either. I mean, she did say, I want to be able to like pursue my own path or whatever. But she didn't tell the witch. I want you to specifically change it so that she does the, like she just says, I want you to change my mom so that I can have my way. And so then doesn't realize the repercussions that that's going to have. And in terms of my own life and my own experience, In high school, I remember there was a time where my mom and I had conflict and she was saying to me how I needed to change. But I thought that was so unfair Mm. that I was just like, no, you need to change. And it was this anger where we were both upset. And so there was this mixture of pride and anger that Mm. then created a blind spot where I was not even thinking at all about where I needed to change. Mm. And my mom was thinking more about how. I needed to change rather than how she needed to change. And so then that creates this divide where if you're not able to have the humility to look at, uh oh, how do I need to change? Even if you think the other person is being completely unfair, completely ridiculous, you still need to have that humility to ask yourself, mm-hmm. how do I need to change? And Christ, like the Christ example of humility, of self surrender in our lives, th- there's this humility that Christ can give us where we can surrender our our need to be right and be willing to look inside and say, okay, where is their actual sin here? Where is their, where is their folly within my own heart? Rather than just being so attuned to the sin and folly in the person we're upset at. Yeah. Yeah. I, man, Porter, I have so much to say about this. Um, <laughs> so much, um, but specifically like, in, in the vein of pride, I think it's so fascinating to 
look at the contrast between Merida and Mordu, someone that that made a choice in their pride and then tried to correct it and someone that fell completely to their pride. And A, like I think that, I mean, Proverbs 16, got to give it a shout out, right? Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And in that story that Eleanor tells Merida about the kingdom and about the the one son that wanted everything for himself and caused all the destruction. There's just, you can see this chain of events in Mordu's life or whatever the prince's name was. Now Mordu's the bear. Um, but he had this pride and selfishness where he went and he asked to be have the strength of 10 men from this witch and he becomes this bear and it leads to this permanent change. Um, and not just like a permanent change, but this is an ancient kingdom. When Merida and Eleanor are walking around there, she's like, this place is old, okay? Like this bear has lived for so long, has been alive for so long, and he's not able to like die, you know, like he he has to live with this destruction and this pride and like uh-huh. everything. It's this permanent change to his spirit and it c- completely corrupts him, right? So there's that. And yeah. then he has all these scars on his back from his enemies. There's literal like weapons in his back. Stuck uh, in him, people. yeah. That from the people that have disagreed with him, um, that are stuck in him, and he he's offered no healing. Yeah. There's no, like you know there's none of that. Yeah. He lives in his old king. Like the only time that they've interacted with Mordu, other than when he was just in the woods when she was a little girl, is at his old kingdom, and he lives in that dark cave by himself in the past. Like he's living in the past, and that's what his pride has caused him to do. And he, you also see in his character, which is literally a bear, so, so good job, Pixar. Um, <laughs> you see like a regret or self-hate because like when you have the statue that's split of the four princes um, and he's separated from them, his is all scratched up with the mm. nails there and the the three brothers none of them are scratched up mm. um, and it's like this intense like the the dist- the self-destruction around him and and the self-destruction like within him like he has really like he has a lot of self-hate and regret and that has like let and all of that accumulates together to this violent acting out to th- this expression of anger that's not healing that that contributes to his own individualism in a way that's really unhealthy. And he has an inability to confess or to get better, like because yeah. of all of that, because of his pride. And then you see the contrast to Merida, who is so prideful. She wants what she wants. And Eleanor is also very prideful. Like they both want what they want. And then they're tossed into this situation together, like, like, you know, like right next to each other. And they realize as they're going about the consequences of their action and work together to change and to, to make a shift from that really prideful stance into the humility of repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. The other thing about Mordu is like his pride, He the reason he wanted to have the strength of 10 men was so he could rule this kingdom and so that people would follow him and he would have this power and authority but then pride literally comes before the fall and the destruction because everyone turns against him and he has no kingdom left Mm -hmm. he either kill he either kills them or they become his enemies and so that's the tragedy of this of pride is that it's grasping at something while actually undermining your ability to have a healthy version of power or flourishing or engaging with the world because it it eats itself and like you were saying it leads to this self-loathing which is interesting i didn't pick up on the fact that his face was scratched so i really i appreciate your 
in-depth analysis of more do because I feel like I appreciate that part of the movie more now that you explored his pride because I was thinking more just about Merida and Eleanor but you're right we have this warning of what pride looks like if you allow it to go unchecked and then we have this celebration in the fact that Merida is able to realize her pride Mm -hmm. is able to name her her decisions as selfish which is so huge I mean we as Christians need to be able to do that (laughs) to be able to say I am being selfish I have been selfish and then that leads to this repentance part, which I know is what you would like to talk about. So let's yeah. let's dive into what well, is this movie saying about repentance? Yeah. Wow. This is why I wept in the movie. This season of Lent, it is wracking me. <laughs> <laughs> and I am I am just learning so much. And the, my first I'm I'm reading a devotional right now, which I will reference and give a shout out to the authors. And the entire first week is on repentance. So I watched this movie like and it culminated like this entire week of reflecting on repentance and watching mm. this film. And then the second week that I'm working through right now is on humility. There <laughs> so, you go. <laughs> yeah, good. But Yeah, like there is so much going on with repentance in this film, especially of the ownership of the sin that Merida has committed and the ownership. Like, I think we've talked about how hard it is to track for Eleanor specifically, but I think also Eleanor's ownership of that sin and and the ways that she's forcing her hand on, on Merida. But there's so much where like the entire movie when she when Eleanor changes into a bear, the whole narrative that Merida is saying, the entire story she tells everyone is like, this witch turned my mom into a bear. This witch did that. There's mm. so much blame shifting the entire movie. It's like it's Merida's, not my fault. It's yeah. not my fault. Yeah, like Merida's not able to own up to it. And the the moment that Eleanor is healed is not when Merida rides to her aid and stitches up the tapestry. And it's not when she's defending the life of her mom saying, I won't let you kill my mother to her dad. Like, it's not these big dramatic acts of bravery at all. It's none of those things. It's when she gets down and she's realizing that she might be too late. And she finally says the words, I'm sorry. And she says, I am wrong. And I think there's so much in that, right? Like this repentance and this acknowledgement of, of Merida to say, like, I was prideful. She, she says, I was so selfish as she's weeping to her mom, who's literally turning into a bear. Yeah. <laughs> like, like she's weeping. And like this repentance is instead of blame shifting, she's owning it. It's motivated by love for her mom, which is a big part of Christian repentance. Like Christian repentance isn't motivated by guilt. Um, it's yeah, motivated yeah. by our love and desire to be closer to Jesus. It's motive. It's like a new identity for Merida. Like she's taking on this new identity and understanding of self. Um, it's initial and it's ongoing, which we'll touch base on. Um, and she also like calls her sin what it is. Like she says, I was selfish. And I, I really, I'll get your thoughts on that, Porter. And then I really just wanted to read a little bit from um, this devotional that I've been working through that just has a summary about what biblical repentance is and why it's so important. So, but you can respond first. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say thanks so much, Alexa, because you're helping me like this movie more because you have more insight than I do. But I, I'm just hearing you say that. It makes me think that's the most brave thing she does. Yeah. Yeah, that is what makes her brave is that she's able to say, I'm sorry, because that takes so much courage. We are the vulnerability. Yeah. The human condition 
we've been blame shifting since the Garden of Eden and yes. taking ownership of sin, failure, selfishness is very difficult. And mm-hmm. it's to her shooting arrows, riding the like horseback. And many of us would say, oh, that's really brave. But to her, that's her comfort zone. That's her thing. But what's brave for her is being able to acknowledge I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I made a I made a selfish decision and it hurt my mom. It yeah. gives me a new understanding of the title, Brave. And it's fascinating, like related to what we were talking about with anger earlier. Like I, I said that one of the words, emotions that I'd written down with, like as I was processing my own anger was misunderstanding or misunderstood. The other word that I wrote down was vulnerable. And I was like, anger makes me feel so vulnerable. And then I lash out and anger is the wrong reaction to my vulnerability. Um, instead of being vulnerable and saying, I am wrong. <laughs> I did yeah. this. You know, like that, that's so powerful. So, which is my issue with turning red is that we never get mm-hmm. a moment with May May explicitly naming her selfishness. So, yeah. I didn't even realize, oh, the thing that I am frustrated with turning red about, Brave has this, this mm-hmm. moment of full ownership of what she's done wrong. And, like you said, with the mom, it, it, we're limited because she's in bare form, but I do think the mom has a level of repentance in the fact that she says, oh, I want, to, I'm going to give up my desire right. for you to yeah. get betrothed right now yeah. and allow you to choose. So yeah, I yeah. wish the movie ended with a line about that. Like if the last I wish line, it ended with Eleanor joining the narration. Hmm, that would have been beautiful if they had said something together. Yeah. There you go. Oh. Brenda. Script script uh, suggestions here, <laughs> Pixar. <laughs> but yeah, I really wanted to read this little bit from the devotional that I'm reading. It's called Journey to the Cross by Kendall Hogg and Will Walker from a Providence church. And in the very last day of last week, just reflecting on repentance, they kind of did this summary of what what biblical repentance is. And they related it to so much. I mean, there's so much in James and there's a passage for listeners if you're interested in Second um, Corinthians 7, 8 through kind of 13, where Paul's writing about godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow and what that means and why it's important. Yeah, there are a couple of ways that Merida's repentance really stood out to me in in relation to this. So they say, A, repentance is a response to God's grace. Like I said, it's it's motivated by love for God and a desire for fellowship with him. So Merida's repentance is is motivated by a desire to be in fellowship with her mom. It's not about, (laughs) um, it's not about like, I feel guilty. I'm I'm so ashamed or um, like, it's not even about like, you're going to die. It's about, I won't be with you anymore. Like, I just want to be with you. And they say that repentance is addressed to God. Sorry, Mary, Merida, you didn't get that, that check mark. <laughs> um, but we can, we can pass by that. But it, it underlines the um, primacy of God in all things. Um, repentance is walking in the light. And they talk about David's confession and repentance. And there's a time when David walked in darkness, unwilling to see things for what they really were. But like I said, like Merida calls a spade a spade. Like she says, I've, I did this thing wrong. I asked, I asked the witch to change you. And that was wrong of me. And then repentance is taking responsibility for our sin. Um, And this quote really gets me. The problem is not just that um, Merida sinned, but that she is sinful Right. I mean, the devotional doesn't say Merida, but um, like, it's like the problem <laughs> Whoa, is not- oddly specific. There. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like the problem isn't just that I've been it's, it's not like, oh, I did a selfish act. It's that I am selfish. Like this is who I am. And I need Does to she say that. that. Did she say um, I was 
she says, she says, I've been like, I'm selfish. Like I've been yeah. selfish. So she acknowledges like her past way. I don't know if she takes ownership of that specifically. And then there's, they say, uh, repentance is turning to God in faith and reconsider how we're living our lives in light of our new identity, which I think that Merida really does like, and Eleanor as well. They reconsider how they're going to live in light of their new understanding of each other. Yeah. In Romans 2, there's a verse where it says that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Mm. I just love that. Like you were saying, it's 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 his grace. It's his kindness. It's his moving towards us in love. And then our response in love to him is to repent because it's very easy to be in a mindset of, yeah, guilt Mm -hmm. and shame. And thinking, oh, I need to be, I need to increase my shame and guilt because maybe that'll get me to change. That'll get Mm -hmm. me to repent. And so we want to change and then, but we're actually inserting more of this guilt that actually will undermine transformation. And that's a, that's very worldly and like world oriented sorrow instead of our repentance being God oriented. Yeah. All right. Well. Let's talk about what character each other is in the film. This is going to be hard for you, Porter. I, I know. Who who on hard. earth could I possibly select? <laughs> so I, Out of I'll the four first. women I'll in the first, film, but... if you say I'm Maudie, I will come to Massachusetts and I will slap you in the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so two seconds into the movie, I see these red, cur- I see these curls and I hear this giggling and I'm like, oh, I wonder <laughs> which character Alexa is. <laughs> um, and then like 10 minutes in, we see her rock doing this intense rock climb. I'm like, <laughs> Merida's a badass. Like that is a hard climb. And she's just like out there making it look free soloing it. Yeah, I know. How- free okay. Number one critique of the movie. How did she get down? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> How did she get down from that climb? From that climb. Maybe she jumped onto Angus's back or something. Maybe. Maybe. And he's a super strong. Yeah, I don't know. That's a far but fall. here's the most impressive thing Merida does. You're Merida. You are Merida. That Thank spoiler you. alert. I know it's a shocker here, but yes. But That's why you chose me to be on this podcast episode, right? It's cuts in my hair. <laughs> no, more than just your hair. It's your adventuresome spirit. I knew you would be good to talk about the women's like the uh, elevation of women um, and your wilderness adventuring. I mean, come on. So, yes, I did. Part of I think the reason you're Merida is also part of the reason you're on this episode, but not just your hair. (laughs) Not just how I look. But before I talk about how you're like her most impressive thing she does in this movie is so while riding. I'm like, this girl is using a needle and thread on a bucking horse that is galloping. <laughs> like that was, I was so impressed. I was like, that's even more impressive than the rock climb, you know? I like that. You are an adventurer. You have a jo- this like joyful energy of like, Electa happens to life. Life doesn't happen to Electa type of thing. Like you're, you're just out there engaging with the world. And that's how Merida has this spirit of, uh of joyful adventure but i also think that the message of this movie being a witness with one's mom i've just seen in your life this love and witness that you've demonstrated to your mom and how obviously at the beginning of this movie merida is very much pushing back and wanting to be independent 
from her family and her mom specifically and is, is pushing back. But at the end of the movie, when there's this this the healing of the tapestry and there's this togetherness and uh, I, I see that in you as well, this withness and love for your mom. So both both on the very like surface level, like curly hair outdoor adventurer but also in in the ways that you've taught me as a friend about love and withness with one's family thank you porter when you were saying that i remembered the phone case and how um i don't know if you remember that but uh, my mom sent me a phone case when i was in college that was like filled with glitter and butterflies and i hated it <laughs> and porter made it the butt of a joke one night at dinner and i was like you know this is from my mom and i use it on my phone because it reminds me that she loves me and i love her and it's not my style at all but yes I and i immediately them. repented of my selfish thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah you said um and then i think it was like years later though or at least a couple months you came up to me and you're like hey i've always remembered what you said about about that phone case and like cherishing what your mom yeah. gave you. Yeah, like you, the fact that you were using it just went to show how much you care about her and how much you want to be reminded of her um, and your love for her. So yeah, that that is a good anecdote that shows that that uh, love you have, so. I'm glad that that stood out because there are several gifts that I've disliked from my mom that I've never used, so. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Pops to that one phone case. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's um, well, thank you, Porter. I so appreciate that. Are you are you ready for who I? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, my question is, which triplet? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. Actually, not none of the triplets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I told Porter before we started recording that I was a little nervous to share which character I thought he was because I didn't want him to be offended. Um, but this is met in the best, best possible way. Okay. I think you are Angus. <laughs> the horse um, the horse um I'll take and it. here's here's why here's why okay. okay even though you are a non-speaking character in the film and you talk a lot in real life that's, <laughs> the that's the difference angus is always up for adventure is a very consistent character um very loyal especially to merida like he will always be there. He's always in the stable. He's re he he reacts to her. He has a little mm -hmm. bit of sass to her when she like <laughs> when she's like, "All right, Angus, ready for the night?" He like swings his tail and smacks her in the face. And um yeah. and there's this cleverness to him. Um, he's always there for people. And like she's always go like whatever she needs him, he is there. Um and like he when on the in the birthday scene, like the opening scene when it's like. Yeah, when she's going and riding and archery and all this stuff, like she is not directing this horse at all. Okay, y'all, she is just yeah. going at it with the, with the archery. She's like hitting the targets, and he knows the way. Like he he's learned in that, um, mm -hmm. and he is learning alongside Merida. Um, and I think that like Porter, you and I like both like in our college journeys and and post grad journeys, etc. Like have so much that we've learned, and there's a there's a sense of being very well learned and like knowing the way and knowing Christ. Mm. Right. Um, but then there's also like a sense where we're still learning a lot. And I think that you consistently are a person who's always like open to learning. And I feel like you Porter uh, do that well. So that's, that's why you are Angus, which means we're well, best. Thanks Alexa. I appreciate it. Hey, Joel called me a blimp. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I said that Joel, sorry, Joel, but I'm going to call you out. I said that you're wrong. I think that Porter is much more like Ellie than he is like the blimp. Yeah, I, I'll take that because that, yeah, the blimp was that one hurt. No, I'm just kidding, Joel. It's okay. I, 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 you explained it well. <laughs> 
Um, but, but it's interesting because like the the younger brothers, like they they're not they're not char- good characters, right? They're just funny. And yeah. Fergus is just is Fergus. You aren't Fergus, clearly. You aren't any of the dumb dumb suitors or their dads. And then like who else do we have, right? The witch. Yeah. Oh, the crow. You could be the crow. Just kidding. <laughs> A will of the wisp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More do. I don't want to be more do. <laughs> yeah, that, that would have been kind of dark if you, after describing like his fall into pride, if you had just like, yeah, you're more do. I'm not going to elaborate more on that. You don't have to say anything else. You're just more do. <laughs> it should be self explanatory. It's, it's because you have the strength of 10 men, Porter. Don't worry. Oh, thank you. Yes, clearly, clearly. Oh, man. Well, I have to thank you, Electa, because I think I, after watching this movie today, I did not realize the depth that it has. I think I saw it as more shallow than you did, but you helped me see the depth in it, which I really appreciate because often that's what I do for friends. And when talking about a movie, they're like, whoa, I didn't realize it was that deep. And I had multiple moments in hearing your thoughts on this movie, realizing, oh, wow, there actually was more of a cohesive thought in that part of the plot that I didn't see. So thank you for this discussion. And this just goes to show that this is, in my opinion, how movies should be viewed is you should be viewed in community and then discussed in community because there's so much richness in story and talking about how you interpret a story with a friend brings out so much more. So thank you for, for doing that. Absolutely. Um, I'm yeah. just I'm just gonna give a shout out to, to my G the Holy Spirit because <laughs> this is, I I honestly did not like Brave the first time I saw it and haven't watched it in years. And then when I watched it this week to prepare for the episode, just with everything that the Lord's doing in my heart through this season of Lent and um just like through through who God is, like there's there's so much to draw out and learn. Um and yeah, it really it really just was like the the peak, the mountain peak to my learning about repentance and yeah, yeah, yeah. Really impactful. That's that's amazing. Yeah, love how the Lord works. And yeah, the next time you're watching a movie, especially if it's one you've seen before, why not just ask God, hey, I'd love to hear from you when watching this. I know it might sound like a weird prayer, but God can speak through narratives. And yeah, consistently movies will hit me at different times in my life. And I'll be like, I've seen this before. I didn't realize it was like going to hit me on that visceral level. So anyway. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Electa. This was delightful. Yes. Absolutely. Another long one coming off of Toy Story 3 here. But <laughs> Sorry. Love you guys. Oh, I haven't finished listening to that episode yet. That's okay. <laughs> God bless you. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And Electa, you've expressed a desire to uh, be on the pod again and to be another uh, returner. So I will keep that in mind and I'll keep your uh, phone number in my Rolodex. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we can wait and see what the reviews for this one are because it, it depends on what what the the listeners want, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I do think some of these similar things we talked about here, I would love to hear your thoughts on Turning Red, which I haven't heard. You texted me that you had thoughts that you want to share, but we haven't talked yet. But that's okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Electa. God bless you, friend and me. Signing off. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Really appreciate it. I just want to send us off with an exhortation to be brave before the Lord. 
And one of the bravest things we can do is being vulnerable with God about who we are. It takes a lot of courage to take off the mask, to come before the Lord and be honest about our sin, about our need for his redemptive power to change our lives. But what better time of year to step into that boldness, to be brave than the Easter season, because we know that his strength is stronger than the hold of sin and death. And as the Lord breaks free from death on Easter Sunday, may we come to him with our decay, with our death, with our sin, and may we repent May we acknowledge where we have been selfish, acknowledge where we have hurt others, acknowledge where we have turned our backs on God, and may we bring it to him knowing that in his grace and in his resurrection power, there will be freedom for our souls. I think of John the Baptist and the message that he had. In Matthew 3, John the Baptist declares, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The reality of Jesus entering our world, bringing with him a new creation, a new reality, a new way of life that is holy and righteous and good, a new community that loves one another in grace and peace. The path into that reality, our doorway into the life that Jesus has for us is repentance. So friends, be brave, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. God bless you. Happy Easter. And thank you so much for your listening.